you know, there's something that God has uh, made in, in music, isn't there? There's something he's, he's, he's made us to respond to music, that it affects our soul. Now, I know that you know worship is more than just when we come together and sing. It's our whole lives, isn't it? But God has done something in, in us, the way he's made us, that, um, that music impacts our life. And it's not just that words put to a tune are more readily remembered by uh, us, uh, but it's that it affects our emotions. Songs can have a powerful effect on how you think and how you feel about something. It's why that in the past, revivals, many revivals that you uh, read about where God's moved in power are accompanied by a releasing of many uh, new songs and hymns that have been written. Conversely, it's why over the last 70 years, if you like, pop groups and rock groups and that sort of thing have been at the forefront of cultural changes that have gone on within our nation and the, the Western world as it, as it is. Used for God and surrendered to God, music can be an incredibly, tremendously helpful tool to help us express our love, to help us express our thanks and our gratitude, help us to declare praises of how good and how great God is. It can help us even uh, express our need for him, help us express our grief in, in times of trouble, our dependency, our frustration, our confusion, even our disappointments. It can help us bring that before God. Now, now most of you who know me know that I'm not really a, a very emotional man. I don't, don't cry uh, very often. That is, unless you put me in front of Paddington 2, and then, of course, yeah, it's a, it's a tearjerker. You've got a bit when Aunt Lucy at the end, uh, I mean, even thinking about it, uh, there's water in my eyes. So, uh, but in worship, I do get emotional. In worship, it, it touches me. And as we embark on this series in the Psalms that we're going to be looking at, the songbook of the Bible, I'm really excited to, to, to look at this book to, uh, together with you. You know, the fact that it's called the Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means songs of praise. And the Greeks themselves copied it, because it's originally written in Hebrew, from the uh, Hebrew word, which means songs of praise. So hence probably why the, the series on TV is called Songs of Praise. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, what is interesting about the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, is that virtually every emotion, or every emotion of the soul, is there. Joy, happiness, love, gratitude, anger, despair, rage, even confusion, depression, hopelessness, as well as hope, is all there. John Calvin, a famous theologian, writes, the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Whatever emotion you are feeling right now, whatever you're going through in life, there is a psalm that can help you in that situation. Rolf Jack Jacobson says, One of the reasons that the psalms are so beloved is that they express the full range of human emotions before God 
At times, the Psalms give us words to express anguish that we cannot bring ourselves. Uh, what, oh, I've lost my place. Sorry, we cannot. Uh, we cannot bring ourselves to express. Do you know? I didn't know this until I was looking into uh, the Psalms, but 66 out of 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. That's 45% of the Psalms are about lamenting before God and not understanding things before God. And the Psalms aren't just full of emotions as well. They're full of practical theology. Martin Luther says about the Psalms that they might well be called a little Bible. In it is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the entire Bible. So I hope I'm whetting your appetite, as it were, to uh, look through this mini-series that we're doing on the Psalms as well. We're not going to do all 150 of them. We're just going to be picking a few uh, as we we go along uh, through it. You know, as a church, we tend to sing songs that are full of theological depth and that help teach you and remind you of the great truths about God. But, you know, just like the Psalms, there are also worship songs that we sing that are slightly more reflective or more emotional. Don't despise those songs Either some of them may be more appropriate, or the, you know the sort of a, uh, the frequency that we sing of them may be more appropriate in your own personal worship time. But as a church, as we gather, some of those songs mixed in with the other songs that we tend to sing isn't a bad thing. Actually, one could argue it's a biblical thing to do to be bringing our emotions before God. On a Sunday as well, here at church, we aim to bring you. Good, solid, biblical theology. That's, that's our aim, you know, uh, uh, Sunday by Sunday. And hopefully we, we live up to that so that you know that God is good and that God is sovereign. He's in control. You can trust him. But sometimes that can lead us to be a little bit quick with ourselves or with other people to try and correct negative feelings or emotions that we feel. Almost seeing them as, oh, it must be a lack of faith or a lack of trust in God. I just need to trust God more is sometimes what we uh, even uh, say to ourselves or may have said to other peoples. But do you know that isn't actually biblical? That's, that comes from the Stoic school of thinking Uh, the philosophy of thought, which actually the British culture adopted so readily and uh, brought into, we've all been brought up under that, you know, that sort of stiff upper lip, lads. Don't let your emotions get the better of you. It's only your feelings, squash them down, carry on. That sort of of mindset. We've all grown up under that. It views your emotions as not important or at least less important. But God has emotions. Why don't you just to ponder that thought a minute. God has emotions. The scriptures are full of God's emotions to situations and to uh, how people have behaved, whether they behave well or not. And he has made you in his image. So you 
have emotions and feelings. They're important. Yes, like God, we're called to manage and direct our emotions, but we're not to deny them. We're not to treat them as unimportant or as not there. Then the Psalms don't. Just listen to some of these Psalms, the raw emotions in these Psalms. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I don't find any rest. How many of you can identify with this psalm? All of us, I'm sure, can identify with it. But how many of you, when you've heard people say that sort of thing, are quick to sort of bring in correct theology to what they're going through? What about this psalm, Psalm 13? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Well, of course not, but will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Again, we've all felt like that. And yet, we want people readily sometimes to, to bypass that emotion, to go to what we know to be true about God. But God knows how you're feeling. And he doesn't want you to bypass that emotion. He wants you to bring your emotions to him so that he can help you through it, so that he can comfort you, so that he can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death that you feel like you're in at at that time. The Psalms help us bring our raw emotions, sometimes in an untheologically correct way, to, to God but in a way that honours him, in a way that leads you through those difficult emotions into the arms of the Almighty who loves you and does have the best for you. It may actually take time for you to get there as well. Psalm 88, if you like, is the the bleakest psalm in in the whole book. It starts miserable, it continues in a dark place, and he finishes in a dark place. The psalmist can't even bring himself to hope in God. He can't even bring himself to trust in God. And yet, he is still bringing what he's feeling to God in that psalm. And there's instruction for you and me in that psalm as well, as we look at it, that there are times where we're still in despair, but we bring that emotion, we bring that feeling whatever we're dealing with to God. And that is actually part of a life of worship. That is actually faith to be saying, God, I just can't see what you're doing in this. And to be in that place, but to still be bringing it to him. Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, Duncan likes this man very much, often quotes from him. He says this about the Psalms. In these busy days... He was writing 150 years ago. It would be greatly to the spiritual profit of Christians if they were more familiar with the book of Psalms, in which they would find a complete armory for life's battles and a perfect supply for life's needs. Hallelujah. Let's, let's, can I encourage you, actually, as we go through this series together, let's spend more time in the Psalms. Don't just wait for Sunday by Sunday. 
Spend more time in the Psalms. You know, apparently Billy Graham uh, once heard him say that he'd read five Psalms every day of his life. Maybe you don't start with five. Maybe just a Psalm would uh, do you good. On top of what your other devotional stuff, spend some time in the Psalms. It will supply all of life's needs for you. The Psalms are part of the poetic and wisdom literature in our Bible that runs from the book of Job to the Song of Songs. In the Jewish tradition, the Psalms are the first and the largest book of the third third and final section of writings uh, called the Writings, and David is a major contributor of the Psalms. See, the Jews, they organize the, the, the Old Testament, it's the same books, but just in a different order. They order, order it in the, into the Torah, that's the five books of Moses, into the Nevim, the prophets, and then the Ketavim, the, the writings, and the psalm is the first one uh, of that. Which is why, when you get to that passage in Luke 24, after Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, he reveals everything written about me in the law of Moses... The prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to the understanding, to, to understand the scriptures. And just to say uh, to those of you who've read the Bible several times and uh, read the Old Testament several times, do you know it's well worth reading it in, in this order if you haven't read it in that order before? Just highlight some new things to you as you read it in a different way. Just like if you've read the Bible in a chronological order uh, as well, uh, use one of those charts that helps you do that. It helps highlight different things to you. It's a, it's a good way to ju- just uh, to read it. I'd encourage you to do that from time to time. One of the final things I'll say before we actually start looking at Psalm 1 about the book uh, is, as with any Old Testament book, and especially the Psalms with all its raw emotion in there, we always read it through the lens of the New Testament teaching. Does the New Testament modify or qualify what is happening, the principles that are being given to us in the Psalms, now that we live in the light of the New Covenant and we're not under the Old Covenant Douglas Fee and Gordon Stewart, Stewart says about the Psalms, the Psalms do not function primarily for the teaching of doctrine or moral behavior. They require special care in reading and interpreting. So remember, we always read it uh, in the light of the New Testament and some of the raw emotion and extreme things that it may say in there. It's fine for us to bring them to God if we're feeling that and help him have him help uh, us work through them, but we're not necessarily called to go and do some of those things uh, that some of those psalms say. So let's have a look at Psalm 1, shall we? It's my favorite psalm. It's given to me when I was a young man uh, by a lady when I, well, when I was actually backslidden and away from God, and she gave it to me as a word. So it's always been, had a special place in my heart. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day 
and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of, of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's a great, great psalm. It, psalm 1 and 2 are uh, considered as introductory psalms to the whole book. And next week, Tom's going to bring Psalm 2 to us as well. It starts with that word, blessed. Blessed is the man or the person. It's not exclusive uh, to, um, to, to men, men and, and women, but it is to, it's talking individually there. It's talking to a person. Blessed just literally means happy. It speaks of a divine favor upon your life, upon somebody's life. Actually, the root word behind it means to go straight, to advance in life. The straight path in life is, if you like, the best path in life to go on. And truly advance in this life is to go God's way. Likewise, in the ancient world, especially in ancient Israel, a tree was a symbol of God's blessing. It reminding people, particularly the Israelites, reminding them of the Garden of Eden, where there was the tree of life in there as well. And of course, in this passage, the waters symbolize uh, God's word. We often think of God's spirit. And of course, the, word of, uh, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So they are intertwined. But here, from this passage, it's clear it's God's word. We're called to spend time. And I'm glad that actually came out in some of the words that we had uh, during uh, the worship time. Spend time meditating, which means to think over and over on God's word. Dinky, drink, drinking, dinking, drinking deep into uh, both morning and evening. Abiding in God's pure word towards us. He's the one that will give you a truly blessed life. He's the one, as Vince reminded us, has life and life in all its fullness. Not, necessar not necessarily everything that you want in life but everything that you need for life and godliness, 2 Timothy 3 makes clear, is found in his word. A life that is fruitful in God and remains alive during the difficult times of life. Again, that came out in our worship time. Isn't it, isn't it funny how God is already preparing people's hearts to, to receive this and to see it from his word as well as from the things that came uh, this morning, a, a, a way of enduring the hardships that will come your way from time to time. You know, put your hand up if you've never gone through a hardship in life. 
Oh, look, nobody. There you go. We've all had hardships. They will come your way. And, and sadly, some more will probably come your way if you live long enough. But his word will sustain you through those hardships. His words will sustain you all the way to life and life eternal. Hallelujah. This is not so with the wicked. If you uh, carry on here, I think you should highlight it out there. This is not so with the wicked. Those who live in a way that is not God's way. Those who choose to base their life on the ever-changing quicksand of current opinion, of who listen to man's counsel and wisdom above what God says to be the way, whose way in life is determined by contemporary wisdom, and they're happy to sit in a place of mocking and belittling the things of God. Oh, you don't believe that, do you? Oh, my goodness, that's, that's ridiculous. I can't believe people these at this day and age still think like that, do they? People belittle, they mock the things of God. Notice the verbs there of walk, stand, sit, describing basically every sort of activity of of life, our going about our business, the places we choose to spend our time in, and where we sit around relaxing with friends. My friends, if you want a blessed life, if you want your life to flourish, to be abundant, as we have already heard this morning, bearing fruit in season, like the psalm reminds us, then choose God's ways and the things that please him, even if you're the only one. See, notice how the blessed, as I highlighted earlier, is, is singular. It's to the, the man or woman, whereas the wicked is plural in the passage. And there's times that it's very lonely in life to go God's way. It's times like you're the only one in your class, you're the only one in your workplace, you're the only one around you in your family, maybe. There's times where it seems almost more uh, blessed to go your own way. You look at other people's lives and they, they don't seem to be struggling, they seem to be flourishing In fact, their tree, so to speak, seems to be in full blossom, and you're the one who's struggling. But the psalmist reminds us to look not just at this life, but to look in the light of eternity. Even if things look good for a season, they're not going to for long. It says, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You wouldn't be the first person either to struggle with this. If you're there thinking, ah, I just, you know, if it was to struggle with walking or standing or sitting with those who ignore God, who go their own way and thinking, ah, they seem so easy for them. It seems better for them. You wouldn't be the first. People have struggled for this for years. Actually, Rachel, if you want to just come and read Psalm 73 for us, it will appear on the screen behind us as well. Can I have the uh, microphone? Is that, that all right? There we go. Just listen to the raw realism of this psalm. 
Certainly God is good to Israel and to those whose motives are pure. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, my feet almost slid out from under me, for I envied those who are proud as I observed the prosperity of the wicked. For they suffer no pain, their bodies are strong and well-fed, they are immune to the trouble common to men, they do not suffer as other men do. Arrogance is their necklace, and violence covers them like clothing. Their prosperity causes them to do wrong, their thoughts are sinful. They mock and say evil things, they proudly threaten violence. They speak as if they rule in heaven and lay claim to the earth. Therefore, they have more than enough food to eat and even suck up the water of the sea. They say, how does God know what we do? Is the Most High aware of what goes on? Take a good look. This is what the wicked are like. Those who always have it so easy and get richer and richer. I concluded, surely in vain I have kept my motives pure and maintained a pure lifestyle. I suffer all day long and am punished every morning. If I had publicized these thoughts, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to make sense of this, it was troubling to me. Then I entered the precincts of God's temple and understood the destiny of the wicked. But I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me by your wise advice, and then you will lead me to a position of honor. Whom do I have in heaven but you? On earth there was no one I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may grow weak, but God always protects my heart and gives me stability. Yes, look, those far from you die. You destroy everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is all I need. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter as I declare all the things you have done. Thank you. Powerful, isn't it? The psalmist wrestled with the same things that we have to wrestle with today. And we have to live as Christians in the light of eternity. And part of the way we do this, in fact, again, Vince reminded us, is by, and the psalm reminds us, is by spending time in God's sanctuary or precinct, as it uh, said in, in that version that we read there, in his presence, praying, worshipping, rejoicing in reading his scripture and learning from scripture by yourselves and also corporately together as well. Because as we do this, it reminds us of who God is, who he's called us to be, who he's made you to be in Christ Jesus already, who you are. It reminds you of your true reality in Christ, what he's saved us from and what future he has for us. You see, for the reality is we were all wicked. We were the sinners. We were the scoffers. All of us and anyone outside of Christ, that's, that's our natural bent, if you like. The default of humanity is we are in that place where we naturally rebel against God. Only Jesus was the one who never walked, who never stood, who never sat in the way of 
the wicked in the way that opposes God. He is the only one who truly and fully delighted in the law of the Lord God. He is the one who fully obeyed it. He is the man who walked not in the counsel of the wicked. He is himself the straight path of the blessed, the one who makes you bear fruit in season and out of season. And yet he chose to die on a cross, to take on himself the punishment of the wicked, of the sinful, of the scoffer, in order to bear God's judgment on himself so that all who come to him, all who surrender their life to Jesus can be forgiven before God. They can be given Jesus' righteousness so that they can stand in the congregation of the righteous because we don't have a righteousness of our own that is good enough for God. But in Jesus, we can have it. You see, Christianity is not about you trying to improve yourself, trying to be a better person. It's you recognizing that by yourself, you're not good enough for God, that you have gone your own way. And then looking to Jesus for his help, that he will bring you to God, that he will make you good enough, that he will give you the strength to live for God. And when you mess up, he will cover that sin as well. And if you've never done that here today and you want to, just pray this prayer along with me and then come and let me know afterwards that you prayed it. But just say, Father God, I'm sorry that I've gone my own way. I'm sorry that I've belittled you in my thinking. Thank you that you love me enough to send your son, Jesus, to die on that cross for me. I surrender my life to him. And through the power of your spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, or if you're watching online and prayed that, please let me know or contact the office, and we'd love to help you in your Christian walk. But as Christians, which the majority of us in the room are, we remember that God knows our ways, as Psalm 1 says, or as Psalm 139 elaborates on and says, he knows when we sit, he knows when we stand. He knows your thoughts from afar. And it isn't like he's a, a, a government spy agency. It's not like Google Analytics. God's not just there gathering data on you. Oh, he's done this. Oh, he's done that. Oh, I could try and sell him this. It's not, it's not like that. It's a, as a loving, concerned parent for you. He's pleased when you're doing well, concerned, cross even, when we're doing things that we shouldn't be, but not cross in a judgmental way, but as someone who wants the best for you, someone who, through the power of the Spirit, has enabled you to, to choose the best, which sometimes we don't always do, and he wants that for us. So my friends, draw upon his power to help you to walk, to stand, and to sit not in the way of the world, but in the way that God wants you to.
Look at Jesus. He is God's example. And he is also the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is that straight path, my friends, that leads us to eternal life. He's the blessed. He is uh, the one who blesses us. And as we listen to his words, they lead you to life. And life in all its fullness. Delight yourself in Jesus' words and in the words that we read in Scripture. They will serve you well. And then you will be like that tree by streams of water, having all that you need in this life. You will flourish even in the midst of tough, tough times. And anything that comes your way, you will be able to go through because God will lead you through it. He's the way in life. He has the best for you. And he is the truth as well. So I'm write the band up. And uh, I'm just going to close there. And I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have made each person here. Lord God, you know them intimately, Lord God. You know them intricately as well, Lord God. But Father, you know us intimately. Lord, you know our thoughts from afar. You know our feelings. You know the things that we are doing well in, you know the things that we're struggling in, you know the things that we uh, are having to battle with, Lord God, you know when we're in a good place and when we're in a dark place, Lord God. And Lord, you love us. And you don't want us to stay aloof from you. Whatever we're feeling, Lord God, you want us to bring those feelings to you. Lord God, you want us to be people that come to you and just experience something of your love afresh. And Lord, I just pray for each person here, would they experience something of your love afresh upon them this morning? Lord, just pour out your spirit, I pray, on each person, Lord God. Meet with them afresh. Lord, help us not to get distracted, Lord. Father, help us to learn from this psalm and other psalms, Lord God. Lord, actually, that though the way of the world may seem appealing at times, Lord God, it is not going to last. It is going to, it is going to uh, um, not only damage us in this life, Lord God, but it's going to lead us under your judgment for eternity. Lord, help us to be a people that rejoice in you and all that you have for us. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to be a church that is just delighting ourselves regularly in your word, rejoicing in your truth, Lord God, following you, Lord God, knowing that you have life, and life in all its fullness for us. And Lord, I just pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I invite you to stand as we're going to sing a closing song? And if you're here today and you know that you uh, have been distracted or you know that you're in a difficult place, which we all are from time to time, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to have people to stand with you and just pray God's blessing.
and hand upon you. If you feel like you've lost that joy of your salvation, the joy of knowing God, the joy that he has for you, again, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you, that you would experience that joy that he has for you. And again, if you need healing or need God to break through in any situation you're in and you just want someone to come and stand with you and to say, I just need, I either need uh, God to heal me or I need help in this situation. Again, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Come to this area over here. There'll be people there ready to pray for you. But God has the best for you. He doesn't want you to stand there and think, oh, no, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm weak in my faith. Oh, I'm I must be struggling. No, no, life's tough sometimes. The Psalms are real about that. God wants to help you in those tough times. Bring those tough times to God and allow people to stand with you and pray God's blessing on you in that time. Amen.